Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. just for a few moments, and, and uh, the word of the Lord tonight, I mean, you've already worshipped, we've worshipped in spirit, and now we're going to worship in truth, and uh, the word of the Lord has already been confirmed, so, uh, so I'm in the vein tonight. We're turning to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 43, in one verse we're going to read, and that is verse 13 of Ezekiel, chapter 43. Let's see what the Lord will have for us tonight and help us. The Bible says, Ezekiel 43 and 13 is the verse. And these are the measures of the altar after the cubits. The cubit is a cubit and a hand breadth. Even the bottom shall be a cubit and the breadth of a cubit, and the border thereof by the edge thereof round about shall be a span. And this shall be the higher place of the altar. Now, in Ezekiel's vision, if you understand Ezekiel's writings, he sees this vision of an angel coming down and measuring the altar and pieces of furniture in the tabernacle. Measuring by the the angel of the Lord. And he's measuring this particular piece of furniture and measuring it as a cubit and a hand breadth. And I want to use this scripture tonight to preach on this very simple subject and that is the seventh hand. The seventh hand. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight for this church. We thank you for this bishop and pastor and family, Brother and Sister McGee. We thank you, Lord, for the South Gibson Apostolic Church, my son and daughter-in-law and pastoring them and all the churches in this area. I pray tonight, God, that you would strengthen us physically and spiritually to expound thy word, walk amongst us. Let our hearts be filled with faith. Let our soul, God, be ignited by power. Help us to understand your word and your work in the earth. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Turn to somebody before you're seated and tell them you need the seventh hand. Amen. I have someone that I want to introduce to you tonight. I don't have his picture with me, but I want to introduce to you a man by the name of Matthew David Scott. 
Matthew is the clinical coordinator for Virtua Health Systems in Gibbsboro, New Jersey. He is also the assistant director of the School of Paramedic, Paramedic Science at Candom College in Blackwood, New Jersey. Let me explain to you what Matthew can do with his left hand. He can pour water, he can tie his shoes, he can play the drums, he can sew or screw a nut on a bolt. He even threw the opening pitch in a major league baseball game. Matthew can do all of these things with his left hand and he does it with a hand that is not his own. Matthew lost his dominant left hand from about midway here up. Several years ago, from a blast of a M80 firecracker that exploded in his hand, they gave him a prosthetic device to help him achieve independence. But then he heard of a group of doctors in Louisville, Kentucky, who were attempting the world's first hand transplant of its kind, and Matthew volunteered. A hand doctor was found, and Matthew became the first successful hand transplant recipient in the United States. Now, here's the simple truth. Matthew needed a hand, and when he needed a hand, he received a hand. The truth is hard to us to realize. We rely so much, many times, on our own hands. We operate with an illusion that if we can't do it, then it can't be done. We convince ourselves of our own ability and our own ingenuity, and sometimes trying hard is really not the answer. There will always be times in your life and in my life when you need someone to give you a hand. That extra hand. How many times have you wished that you had another hand to help you do something? Uh, if I were to move this pulpit tonight, I would not be able to do it by myself. I would need an extra hand. How many men, when working on something in the dark, and needed an extra hand to hold a flashlight? Uh, I, I, I try sometimes to turn my chin into a hand, you know, to hold, try to maneuver. When you're trying to solder wires together, you need an extra hand. How many ladies wish you had an extra hand in the kitchen? while you're trying to stir something and you want to keep it stirred while you're trying to do something else. And when it comes tonight to spiritual things, there are some things that you and I just cannot do without 
an extra hand. In Ezekiel chapter 43 and verse 13, we read, and these are the measures of the altar after the cubits. The cubit is a cubit and a hand breadth. A cubit in the Old Testament was a measurement in the Bible because they didn't have measurements back then like we do today. And they really, there, in my re research, there was only two types of measurements that they used in the Old Testament. One is called the cubit of a man or a standard cubit. You will find this recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 3 and verse 11. It was measured by the width of six hands or the distance between the elbow and the tip of the middle finger, about 18 inches or so. In other words, when you put six hands together side by side, that was called the standard cubit or the cubit of a man. The second type of measurement that I found in scripture is called the royal cubit. That's the measurement found here in Ezekiel and the distance between the two, now catch this, the distance between the two or the difference between the two is a hand's breadth or an extra hand or what I would like to call the seventh hand. Now, in a man's world, six hands will do. That's the common standard cubit. But when it comes tonight to building something for the kingdom of God, you can't do it with just man's hands or man's cubit. You have to have an extra hand or a hand's breath or a seventh hand in your life. I declare to all of us tonight that I do not want, never would want to step into this pulpit without the presence of the Lord. I don't ever want to get up in the morning without I know that God is there with me. Kind of stand as Moses did many years ago as Brother as Brother McGee was referring to, and the Lord said, Moses, go ahead on over. The vineyards are going to be there. The houses that you didn't build are going to be there. The wells that you did not dig are going to be there. And, uh, and, but Moses, I'm not going to go with you. And Moses said, now, Lord, Take the vineyards, take the houses, take the land, take the wells. But Lord, if you're not there, I don't want to go. And tonight, if God is not there, I don't want to be there either. If God is not in it, I don't want to be a part of it. If God is not there, I don't want to be there. There's something powerful when you start thinking about building something for the Lord. You can't do it with just your own hands. You need an extra hand. You need a seventh hand. Mm, somebody shout hallelujah. How many wants to be where God is? 
Amen. How many wants to know that God, if you're there, then it's okay. But God, if you're not there, then I don't want to be there. Hallelujah. God, if you're not in this, I don't want to be a part of it. I'll just go back home and sit down and shut up. But God, if you're there, if you're being the church, then that's the church I want to go to. And so here we read about this man named Ezekiel who was carried into Babylonian captivity. His story opens as you read his, his letters with great visions from God. While others hung their harps on the willows trees, the first chapter of the book of Ezekiel, because they couldn't sing a song in a strange land. While others became lethargic and weary in their journey, they couldn't worship if things weren't just right or the climate had to be just perfect or everything had to just be just right in their world, but not Ezekiel. Mm -mm. In the midst of captivity along the river of Jabbar, the Bible says that the heavens opened up and Ezekiel began to have visions of God. In the middle of despair, Ezekiel saw the Lord. In the middle of captivity, Ezekiel saw God. And the vision Ezekiel had of the Lord, it lasted a long time. And it would be a long time before he would see God again in a similar fashion. But in his final vision, he saw the Lord, watch this, he saw the Lord in the same way he saw him the first time. At the end of his vision, he saw the Lord the same way as he saw him in the first time of his vision he saw the four living beasts he saw a wheel in the middle of a wheel above it all he saw the ancients of days and the identical visions of God formed kind of a bookend of Ezekiel's prophetic ministry because here is what he saw he saw God high and lifted up in the beginning and at the end he saw God high and lifted up. May I declare to us tonight that Jesus Christ is still the same yesterday, today and forever. The Bible calls him Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, the first and the last, the bright and the morning star. What he will start, he will finish. Hallelujah. When you see him the first time, you'll see him the same way the last time. When you see him when you got the Holy Ghost, you'll see him the same way when you reach the clouds of glory and that trumpet sounds. Oh, hallelujah. He'll go to bed with you at night. He'll be there when you wake up in the morning. Oh, yes, he will. He'll start with you. He'll finish with you. How many still remember the first time you got the Holy Ghost? I remember it well. I was only nine years old when God filled me with the Holy Ghost the first time. Because he's filled me a whole lot since. And I hope you're not living on a first-time experience. Because you're not going to make it on a first-time experience. God filled me with the Holy Ghost. And, I, and when I got the Holy Ghost, I felt like I could walk on the clouds. Whew. It was so awesome. It was so great. How many, how many remember that day? What, was, wasn't it wonderful? Just, Amen. And that's why God was able to give Ezekiel the same vision at the beginning of his life 
as he did at the end of the book of Ezekiel. And I'm here to tell us tonight that the same God that saved you then is still the same God that can give you glorious visions of things that are yet to come. He not only touched you in the beginning of your Christian walk, but he also gave you the same powerful touch, the same magnificent experience, amen, even now in your life. How many can imagine that God the same then is the same today and he'll be the same tomorrow, he'll be the same next week, he'll be the same next year. <clears throat> so in Ezekiel's last vision, he saw Israel's future. The restoration of God's people. Ezekiel chapter 37, the dry bones lived. Then in chapter 38, he saw the nations rising up against Israel. Then in chapter 39, he saw the Lord rise up against those nations that rose up against Israel. Then in chapter 40, he saw the new Jerusalem. He saw the new temple. And he also saw an angel bending down and measuring everything about the temple. And close to the end of Ezekiel's vision, God lets him see a description of an altar in that vision. And God tells Ezekiel, that that particular altar, Ezekiel, would not be built according to man's standard of measurement or the ordinary cubit, but that it would be built by using the royal cubit or the sacred cubit. In other words, God basically is saying, the thing that's going to be built, Ezekiel, in my house, is not going to be built by ordinary measurements. The thing that's going to be built in my house is going to use, you're gonna to have to use extraordinary measurements. It's going to be, you're gonna to have to use the royal cubit, which means six hands and a hand's breadth. In the Latin, the word is cubital. In Hebrew, the word is alma which refers to the portion of a man's arm from his elbow to the tip of his middle finger. It's the distance of six hands put together. May I give you a spiritual application right here? Think about it. When it comes to building an altar, the basis of measurements came from man's hands. Because God wants human involvement <laughs> in everything he does in the house of God. God, that's why it takes human involvement in our worship. It takes human involvement in our witnessing. It takes human involvement in our prayer. God wants human involvement in our reading of the word of God. God wants you and me to be involved in everything that goes on in the house of God. Hallelujah. The measurement of Noah's ark was based on a cubit, a man's arm. It was 300 cubits long or 600 feet long. In other words, the salvation of Noah's family required that he get personally involved in building a boat 
to save his family. Can I, can I give a quick word to parents tonight? Mom, dad, you cannot be detached from your kid's life. Because detachment will not lead to deliverance in your kid's life. While they're young and still at home, dad, you've got to be involved. Mom, you've got to be involved. Oh, hallelujah. Just like Noah, the reason Noah's family was saved was because he got the human element involved in building a boat to save his house. Mom and dad, you've got to get involved. You've got to lead them. You've got to instruct them. You've got to humanly bring them to the house of the Lord. And when it comes to spiritual things in your spiritual life, everyone must be involved. God wants human involvement. That's why when we come to the house of the Lord, we've got to get our hands in the air. We've got to, get, we've got to lift up our voice. Human involvement. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the Holy Ghost came down in, every, in everyday life and just hit all of us like, you know, like a Tinkerbell, bing, And the headache goes away, and everything is so. And your kids start behaving. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be wonderful? You know, everybody treated you so kind. Bing. Oh, it, there, there it is. It's just, you know, come to the. Oh, I, I need a blessing tonight. Bing. Never have to pray for it. Never have to fast for it. Never have to read the Bible for it. Never have to struggle for it. You know, but folks, the reason why that doesn't happen is because God wants human involvement in his house. Can I say this tonight? Before you walk through those doors, you've already concluded what kind of church service you're going to have. You've already mentally concluded, you know, if you're tired, well, you're just going to be tired. If you're pumped up, well, you're going to be pumped up. You already decide because you humanly feel and you humanly dictate. And so we try to have church by six hands. We try to endure life by six hands. We try to raise our kids by six hands. The standard cubit, you see. Bible says God used portions of a man's arm to measure the items in the temple because worship requires hand and arm involvement. The twin pillars of Solomon's temple. Now this may not mean anything to you, but I'll give it to you anyway. When the Chaldeans burned the city of Jerusalem, and when they graced the temple entrance, the thickness of the gauge of metal on those brass columns were, the Bible says, a hand's breadth or a distance of four fingers. Jeremiah chapter 52. The crown above the altar was the height of a span, which is the distance of an outstretched thumb to the little finger. That's the, that was a span. Two spans or six hands breaths equaled a cubit. Therefore, man's involvement in worship was required. But when it came time to build the altar, when it came time to measure the altar, God says, 
Don't use the standard cubit, Ezekiel, because six hand breaths is not enough. Six hand breaths is not gonna be sufficient. Ezekiel, I need to add one more hand. I need to add a seventh hand. Why, God? Because God knew that there was going to come a day when the temple would not be comprised of wood and stone, but of human beings, lively stones, a royal priesthood. And he knew that our arms would not be long enough. God knew that our hands could not do it by ourselves. And God says, I don't want the altar, Ezekiel, to be built by man's measurement, but I want it to use a royal cubit, which means that not only do I need your hands but I'm going to put my hand I'm going to add the seventh hand Ezekiel to the things of the temple can I declare to us tonight that you and I can only go so far I can only worship so much I can only pray so hard I can only read the Bible so much. This body has limitations, you know? And, uh, and so I, can, I, can, I, I can go six hands, you know, measurement. But then there comes a time to where we have to say, God, I need that seventh hand. I can only go so far. I can only figure it out so much. But I need, I, I need you to add your hand, Lord. The Bible says that the hand of the Lord came down and there was a, 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 it was six, six cubits or six hands breaths or six hands and a hand's breath. The royal cubit. Can I say tonight, everything we are, I realize is due to our own involvement. But you and I can only go so far. That's why we must have the touch of a seventh hand in our life. We need a seventh hand on top of what we're trying to do. There must, we've got to have the anointing, folks. Church is not church without the anointing. Preaching is not preaching without the anointing. We can come in here and, you know, have a little doxology and a little scripture reading and maybe a song or two and go home, but that's not church. God did not intend the temple to be measured that way. He said, I've got to put my touch to it. I've got to put my anointing to it. Amen. There must be another power. I can only sing so much. I can only raise my hand so high. But God, you're going to have to come down and add your seventh hand, Lord, and give me the touch and, 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 and make that royal connection. There must be more grace than we can give out for our own selves. I need the seventh hand. Slap your neighbor tonight and say, you need that seventh hand in your life. Your ability, my ability can only go so far. You know, there's, there has been a lot of smart people in the world hanging in Nassau Johnson Space Center is a pictorial mural that shows man's method of progress and advancement. When you look at it, it's huge. First, it's a wagon. Then it's a picture of the Model T. Then it's a primitive airplane. Then it's the space shuttle. 
And the mural is captioned at the bottom this way. In one man's lifetime. In other words, the transportation explosion happened in one man's lifetime. Well, how, what about the education explosion, information explosion? The world's knowledge has mushroomed. It took 1,500 years from Jesus to Leonardo da Vinci for knowledge to double. But the next doubling came in only 250 years in 1,500 the next doubling came in 125 years in 1900. Then in 1950, 50 years later, another knowledge doubled again. Then it doubled again in 1960, 10 years later. In the 1980s, knowledge doubled every two to three years. In the 1990s, it doubled every 18 months. Now, it's estimated that knowledge doubles Every six months. Every four to six months, knowledge doubles again. I say that to say this tonight. Man's efforts has gone a long way. Man can split the atom, map DNA, break through the law of gravity, break the sound barrier, make a computer chip the size of a pinhead that can store thousands of files. It's all within man's reach. But man's hands, though always short, man's arms can only reach so far, but not far enough. Doesn't matter how brilliant you are tonight. It doesn't matter how educated you are. It doesn't matter how great your job is. There comes a time in your life where you can only go so far. And that's when you need a seventh hand. Whew. that's when you need that extra hand to come into your life and touch you and help you and take you to another level and give you the blessings that you cannot receive outside of yourself. And that's the hand I'm talking about tonight. Anybody want that seventh hand in your life? Oh, lift your hands right now and let's, let's love Jesus. Oh God, I can't live without you. I can't make it without you. I need that seventh hand in my life. I need that extra hand, oh Lord. I need that extra touch in my life. The Tower of Babel could not reach into the heavens without God's help. But God fashioned an altar in the temple that could reach him. <laughs> Man was made on the sixth day, therefore man's number is six. Six is one short of perfection. Six, six, six is, man, is the man of sin's number. Short of perfection by one, one, one. <laughs> man's cubit was a man of six hands breath. But God's cubit, God's hand made it the seventh. Six is not enough. The answer does not, all, it does not always come from within, folks. There comes times in your life when you need something extra in your life. I'm serving a God today that can put his hand on top of your hand. He can put his hand on top of your life. 
He can put it, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what you're going through, God has a way of piercing through all the darkness and piercing through all the depression and piercing through all the anger and piercing through all the garbage and put his hand right on top of your hand. He wants to add his hand to your problems. He, he wants to add his hand to your failed marriage. He wants to add his hand to your sickness. He, he wants to add his hand to your depression, your heart, your, your, your soul, and bring you peace and bring you joy and bring you happiness. You know, there are instances in the Bible where God answered by way of a man's hand. Because we all need help, folks, from outside ourselves. When it comes time for the miraculous, we need God's help. If you need healing tonight, you can only go so far. I mean, you, you, you can pop all the pills you want. But when you get desperate, it's gotta, it, it, you got to go outside yourself. Yeah. In 1 Kings chapter 18, 43, Elijah told his servant, Obadiah, Obadiah, go look for some rain. Verse 43 says, and he said to his servant, go up now, look towards the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. And he said, well, go again seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, behold, look at there. I'm shocked. There ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand and he said go up and say unto Ahab prepare the chariot get thee down that the rain stop thee not well it's just the size of a man's hand may I say the thing that brought Elijah glorious running strength when he ran from the top of Mount Carmel all the way to Jezreel which was 17 miles and he outran the king's chariot. And the reason he did that was because he saw an extra hand that gave him encouragement when he was at probably one of the lowest times in his life. Folks, can I say tonight, there are times when you just have to say, cancer, you may be winning. Heart disease, you may be winning. Sugar diabetes, you may be winning, but they don't have to win because we still believe in this church that the God we serve is still a God that can add his hand. Put his hand on it. And when God adds his hand, cancer's gotta leave. When God places his hand on it, leprosy has to go. When God puts his hand on it, healing and the miraculous happens. Hallelujah. When God touches your brow, the fever has to leave. Because when Jesus and sickness walk in the same room together, guess who's leaving? Jesus ain't leaving, but sickness has to leave. Demons have to flee. Hallelujah. When God puts his presence in it, that's why I never want to have church without the presence of the Lord. I never want to go to work without, I know that the hand of God is upon me. I don't even want to drive down the highway unless I know there's a seventh hand. Hallelujah. 
There are times in my life when I feel so dry. Feelings of failure grip all of us at times. Desires become unreachable in life. But God, who is rich in mercy, is available to help all of us when I've done all that I can do. Here comes a hand. <laughs> piercing through the elements. Piercing, making its way down into your bedroom. Oh, hallelujah. You might be praying on your knees and you've cried and you've given the same prayer request over and over and over and you're thinking, God, I don't know what else to do. <laughs> then all of a sudden, here comes a hand. <laughs> hallelujah. Has there anybody while you've been driving down the road and all of a sudden you, 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 your car goes out of control and you don't know what to do but just say, Jesus. You know what you're better off to do? Just take your hands off the wheel. And let that seventh hand come down. And say, I'll take the wheel for you. Guide you around. Amen. All of a sudden you come to a stop and you're like, whoo, man. I missed that one. But then you realize... It wasn't me. There was an intervention of the miraculous. There was, a, there was something, something happened that I, I didn't literally see and I, I, I didn't literally know what was going on, but God saved me. God protected me. There's a hand that we always need that, that just, we just can't get ourselves. There are times in my life when I've needed God and I've prayed and prayed and prayed and didn't feel God. But then a hand shows up. When I pastored in Owensville, I was down there in the study in the office in the basement of the parsonage. And uh, I was down. I was depressed. And yes, preachers get depressed. We're not Superman. You know, people think, well, you know, we, you just go into the phone booth and whoop, out you come, Superman. And you got all, you know, think we're supposed to have all the answers and, you know, and we can fly through the air faster than a speeding bullet. You know, we're human too. We make mistakes too. We make poor judgments too. And I was down and I was feeling low and, and I was praying. It was just me there. And so, you know, sometimes I like to just turn out all the lights and, you know, create a, just, just an, an atmosphere of prayer. And I was praying. And I was, I was, I was kneeling it at my chair behind my desk. And right behind my chair was a block wall, basement wall. And I was praying, seeking the Lord. And all of a sudden, Brother McGee, I felt this hand grip my shoulder. It startled me. 
Why does that, why does that, why, why do we do that? Why, when God's doing something, it startles us. Like, whoa, I didn't know that was supposed to happen. And yet we're praying so hard for it to happen. And I'll be honest, it startled me. And I jumped up and I turned around and there's a brick wall. And I knew nobody had, nobody had to convince me. I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that a hand had touched my shoulder. And then it dawned on me. God, you're, there was no voice. There was no light. There was no thunder, no earthquake. And I got up and began to turn around and quickly went for the light switch. Saying, oh, who's in here? Nobody was in there. And I dawned on me and realized that God was, he didn't give an answer. He didn't, there was no voice. There was no written parchment on the desk. But it was God's way of just reassuring me. He laid that, I don't know if it was an angel, I don't know what it was. He laid that and I felt the weight of it on my shoulder and I concluded the fact God was adding his seventh hand into the measurements of my life and reassuring me that it's going to be okay. And from that day till now, that's been 30-some years ago, I've been reassured time and time again no voice, no thunder, but the reassurance of a seventh hand. Folks, can do wonders for your faith. Can do wonders for your trust. Can do wonders for your walk with God. Hallelujah. Thank God for the message that stirs. Thank God for the song that uplifts. Thank God for, for the truth that enables us in the time of prayer and the, and, the, and the support of God's people. But sometimes it's not the preacher. Sometimes it's not the crowd. Sometimes it's not the song. But a seventh hand. Paul saw a man in Acts chapter 14 and verse 8 and he, he was impotent at the place called Lystra and he heard Paul speak and perceived that Paul had faith and Paul spoke to him and he was healed, the Bible says. And the people called Paul a God. Paul said, no, 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 no. I'm not a God for I'm just like you. But there is a God. I'm not him. I didn't heal this man. God healed this man. Can I say this tonight? Folks, your pastor is not trying to get you to fall in love with him. Is that okay? He didn't ask me to say that. But your pastor is not, is not tr trying to get you to fall in love with him. He's trying to get you to fall in love with him. with the miracle worker. 
We sing about it every service. We preach about it every time we come to church. He's still our deliverer. Where, where can I go? Where can I? I can't go any farther without his hand showing up. Daniel chapter five and verse five, in the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Belshazzar didn't realize it, but it was judgment day for him. He and his buddies was busy having a drunken party with all the sacred vessels of the temple and a man's hand shows up and appears on the king's wall and began to write, Daniel was summoned to interpret it and said, King, thou art weighed in the balances, found wanting. It was judgment day for Belshazzar. And when it comes time for judgment, folks, you too are going to need the hand. Now let me say this. When it comes time for judgment day, it was said earlier in the service, but when it comes time for judgment day, you too are going to need the hand of a pastor. He's not reaching and begging for people's membership per se, but I do know that you're going to need someone with a positive influence in your life. Not a pastor of condemnation. Not a pastor that will put you on a guilt trip. But someone who will lift you up every day. Someone who you can call on and have, that might have an encouraging word. Everybody needs that in their life. That's why Hebrews 13, 17 declares, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Oh, I don't need a pastor for the size. I don't need a church. I, I'll just go home and put my Gaither videos in and I'll have church. In yeah. But there, there's a day coming where you're going to need a pastor in your life. Don't think you can just get by without church. Don't think you can just get by without going outside the parameters of God's instructions and God's will. I know salvation is a private affair, but everybody needs a pastor in their life. Everybody needs an extra hand. When it came time to build the altar that Ezekiel saw, God said, Ezekiel, don't use the standard cubit because six hands' breaths are not enough. Six hands' breaths are not sufficient. Ezekiel, I need to add my hand. Tonight, God wants to add his hand into your life. I'm closing. Musicians, if they will come, stand with me tonight. I love Calvary. I love to preach about the cross. There were two thieves that was to be executed that day. They had broken the law. And they were convicted to die. There was also another one that should have been crucified on that third cross by the name of Barabbas. But the third cross that day didn't carry Barabbas. It carried our Messiah. And when those two thieves reached out on that cross, as far as the Roman government could stretch their hands, nails were driven in the middle cross. 
was an extra hand. A seventh hand that was reaching for them. They were reaching for him. He was reaching for them. Folks, it doesn't matter where you are in life. If you feel like you're being destroyed by life, if you feel like you're being stretched to the limits by your nerves or by all the things that's happening around you in your world, in the middle of your confusion, there is stretching a hand. There is a Savior in the middle of it all that's reaching for you. One turned him away. The other said, when you come into your kingdom, would you remember me? And Jesus said, this day, this day, you will be with me in paradise. Reminded of another occasion, Jesus went to the synagogue one day and there was a man who had a withered hand. And it hits me now when he said what he said to that man. Luke declared it was his right hand. And somehow, evidently, it had hidden in the fold of his garment because he should not have been there. He should not have been able to have gone into the synagogue in that condition. Jewish law forbade him to go into the synagogue with anything wrong with him. But he got in. And Jesus exposed him to healing when he said, stretch forth your hand. Folks, if you're ever going to have a miracle, if you're ever going to have a touch of God in your life, then you've got to stretch forth those things that are withered in your life. You may have a withered relationship. You may, your friends may have withered away. The job market has withered and you're looking for job and work. Things have withered in your life, but Jesus has a way tonight of coming into your withered situations and say, stretch forth. Human involvement. Stretch forth. Oh, but we want the Tinkerbell experience. We just want God to come down and take it all away. No. God said, stretch forth. You've got to bring it to Jesus. It takes human involvement. And when he stretched forth his hand, that seventh hand touched him. That extra hand touched him. And the Bible says immediately he was healed. And I declare to you tonight that if you're ever going to do anything in the house of God, you can't use your own measurements. You can't use your ordinary standards. You must use the royal cubit. There has to be another hand, a hand's breadth, a seventh hand. Would you stretch your hand to the hand of the one that stretches down? And let's call upon him right now. Oh God, I can only... Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. 
Thank you and have a blessed day.